If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. We are uh, making our way through Isaiah's uh, uh, long but incredibly uh, powerful and even vivid um, prophecy given to the people of Judah and Jerusalem uh, as their nation, as their people were crumbling and as uh, they were uh, in, in even acts of rebellion against God and not trusting God and, and many of it they have much of, of, of all that they were enduring they had brought upon themselves and yet Isaiah gives us a, a vivid picture of God's uh, power and might and his kingly reign over his all of creation and over his people yet also his majesty and kindness that he has worked towards us divinely and powerfully in Jesus Christ. So we're, we're continuing in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1, through Isaiah chapter 8, verse 8. Um, would you pray with me as we, as we prepare to dive into God's word this morning? God, as we open your word, we pray that you would uh, minister to each of our hearts exactly where we are. Lord, where maybe we put on pretenses or, 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 or give the appearance of all going well in our lives outwardly, you know the condition of our hearts inwardly. So now we submit those before you. And particularly as we consider our text this morning, you know the condition of our fears, our worries. You know the manner by which we need to be comforted in, your, in reminders of your presence with us, no matter what our days may hold. And so, Lord, show us Christ and show us your work in this. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When I was a little guy, I don't know, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, there was a clothing brand. Uh, uh, I, I, they, they made clothing, and they also like made little uh, stickers or bumper stickers for cars. It was called No Fear. Do any of you remember that? Okay, I'm glad you all do. I was raised in the South. I didn't know if it was just a Southern thing. Um, but No Fear was this, 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 I saw a lot of older, like high school and college age and cool guys would have this stuff on their cars and, and they'd wear no fear clothes. And, and I thought it was what the cool guys were all wearing. And, uh, so I, I, I admired and I looked up to the guys who would rock the no fear clothes. And, uh, I remember looking back on it now. I wonder why I, why I was so, uh, fascinated by, this idea of this bravado whereby you would go through life thinking you had no fears. And a uh, timely Facebook reminder of the guy I was at 8, 9, 10 years old reminded me why that was so compelling. You see, I had the most incredible just straight-up bowl cut, and I had these glasses that were just massive in their uh, uh, size, and a picture, there's a, there's a family Christmas ornament still of little Stephen with his bowl cut, with his glasses, wearing a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Christmas sweater. And the worst part about it is that I had it tucked into my jeans. And so I apologize if any of you here today have your sweaters tucked into your jeans. That's not what fashion is supposed to be. And so now I realize why 8, 9, 10-year-old Stephen was so drawn to this idea of conducting oneself with no fear. <laughs> but the idea of that guy having no fear is shockingly off, isn't it? I don't know why no fear as a brand collapsed. Uh, they 
went into bankruptcy back in 2011, and they still have some kind of prefer, uh, presence with like mixed martial arts and energy drinks and things like that, but largely the brand has collapsed. And I don't know if it was because people like me realized that far greater than putting a sticker on your trapper keeper for school or wearing a shirt that sang it, we all realize that you can't just put a shirt on that says no fear and go about life with no fear. We all have fears that we carry around. Perhaps we try to hide them. Perhaps we try to conceal them from those around us. And yet we have fears that we carry. We have an image that we might want to project before others. And yet we have fears that penetrate our minds and even hold us captive. In Isaiah chapter 7, we meet a guy named Ahaz, who himself was carrying around quite the fears. And he helps us to ask the question, how ought we as Christians understand fear and how ought we as Christians understand our responsibility to trust in God? Well, what we see in Isaiah 7 and verse 1 through Isaiah chapter 8, verse 8, is that when our fears devastate us, and even when our fears are brought about by the weight of our own sin, let us anchor ourselves to Christ who meets us right here. Let me say that again. When our own fears devastate us, and even when our fears seem as if they have been brought about by our own sin, by our own wrongdoing, let us anchor ourselves to Christ who meets us right here in our fear. What fears have you entered the room with today? It's not a matter of did you enter the room with anything in the back of your mind that you were fearful of, but what are they? Well, let's meet Ahaz, and let's see those that he walks in with. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1 says, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it but could not yet mount an attack against it. Okay, let's stop right there. Like, okay, you've got all these names. Who are all of these people? Okay. Well, as we read it, Ahaz, you remember King Uzziah from last week in Isaiah chapter 6. Well, he died, and then there was, uh, uh, he had a son named Jotham. Uh, Jotham didn't last long on the scene, apparently. And then Ahaz is now the king of Judah. So Ahaz is the king of Judah, and uh, there's this other, there's other smaller nations around. There's Syria, and then there's, uh, there's also um, uh, Israel, uh, which is also mentioned there. So uh, there, there are all these smaller nations. And, w- and what happened is that, that Judah and Israel were once part of the full people of Israel, and yet they had divided, they had split apart, and now uh, Judah is the southern kingdom, Israel is the northern kingdom, and Israel has departed from faithfulness to God, and Syria is, uh, uh, they're a smaller nation around there too, and so there's all these kind of like smaller nations who are obviously or, or, or frequently always in conflict with one another because they are trying to understand, uh, or they're trying to fight for their own survival really. So Ahaz, king of Judah, has gotten word that Israel and that Syria have joined forces together, and that might be bad for Ahaz and Judah now because they're not the big kids on the block anymore, and they might have issues related to their own security. So Ahaz, king of Judah, is worried about his own safety and the safety of his people. That's what we see in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. So Ahaz, 
When the house of David, verse 2, when the house of David was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook, and listen to this, as trees of the forest shake before the wind. So Ahaz is just stuck in his tracks in fear. And the Lord said to Isaiah, whom he had commissioned out in chapter 6, you remember that from last week if you were with us, the Lord said to Isaiah in verse 3, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Now let's pause right there. So Shear Jashub, you might see a little note on your Bible related to that. His name means uh, a remnant shall return. Interesting name for a kid, but that's how the Lord had him name him back in the day, as names as reminders of God's work. And so God is reminding the people of Judah through this Isaiah's son, hey, I'm going to preserve a remnant that will return no matter what your nation faces. So the Lord says, Isaiah, Ahaz needs some encouragement, man. And look at this. Uh, in, in verse 3, he's at the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. Imagine night is falling. He feels like enemies are camping around Judah waiting to invade. And King Ahaz is out checking on the water supply. He's doing these last checks like you would do before a, a terrible nor'easter is going to blow in. And you're checking the generator. And you're making sure everything is lined up at home. You are trying to make sure everything is lined up for the storm that is about to come your way. And Ahaz's fearful heart is in that position. And God says to him, God says to Isaiah, go check on him. And Isaiah says to Ahaz in verse 4, be careful, be quiet, do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. That's how God describes Israel and Syria. They're they're, they're stumps, they're smoldering, they've been burned out, you don't have to fear them. Don't be afraid of the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. So God says they're going to try to overthrow you. They're going to try to put in some kind of puppet king to reign over Judah and serve for their own purposes. And God says, do not fear. Now, you can certainly empathize with Ahaz, right? I don't know about you, but I've never been in a position where I was literally the king over a people and we were about to be invaded by a greater number and a more powerful people, and I was worried that my people were going to be overrun and totally destroyed. I've never been in that boat, but I can understand Ahaz's fear just a little bit. And perhaps you can too. Though you haven't been in that boat, maybe you felt like you've been in that boat before. Or you were like Ahaz and you were checking the water at night, but maybe in checking the water at night you were running through things in your mind that you could not fall asleep. Things are keeping you awake that were keeping you awake in fear. A couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we saw that worry in our hearts many times, not all the time, but many times is a language by which we tell God that we don't trust him. Well, now we are realizing that fear is the language by which Satan, the father of lies, fear is the language by which he tells us that our God will abandon us. Fear is what he brings to our hearts to make us think we are alone and we cannot trust God. 
The danger that we see from Ahaz as we look through this is that when we face intimidating situations, we are tempted to look at other, uh, other sources of security for our safety. Okay, so he's out checking the water and uh, he's out looking at, uh, to make sure everything, all, all of the uh, uh, infrastructure of Ju- Judah is ready for the coming onslaught of Syria and Ephraim. And so he's out checking this. And, and the warning that we face here is not a question of do we have fears, but where do we place our fears? Who do we take our fears to? And the warning that we see is that taking our fears anywhere but to the Lord God Almighty himself is folly. Over the past year, we've seen government come together with all the mechanisms, all the arms of government that it can bring together, all the all the all the power, all the might to try to fight this pandemic and to try to ward off economic disaster and try to bring about hurried uh, 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 testing and vaccines and all of these things. And we thank God for the common grace and mercies that he has given us in the midst of this. But the thing that we have to remember, dear church, is that all that man can muster in scientific advancement or in governmental uh, legislative accomplishment, all of these things are not where our hope lies. The world conspires against us to tell us that we have much to be fearful of and that we have nowhere to turn. Or it tells us that the places that we would want to turn are where our hope can ultimately rest. But for as much as we thank God for medicine and medical, great medical advances, we recognize that there are times when medical advances only go so far. Perhaps some of us have received terminal diagnoses in our life and we're just waiting on that clock ticking down and medicine has said there's nothing we can do for you or you've seen loved ones in that boat or perhaps you have at various times this year felt either uh where, where some have felt great glee at government and its work on behalf of citizens others have felt great sorrow at government and it's your feelings of where government has botched things Maybe there's other ways in which you seek other security apart from God, whether it's in in idolizing your own healthy diet or your own healthy lifestyle, which all of these things are good, but recognizing once again that, that the greatest thing for our fears is not to try to find solution for them or answer for them apart from God himself. What Ahaz is realizing is that he needs something greater than healthy water structures uh, keeping Judah nourished as the onslaught comes. They need the one who can part the waters and guide his people through. So what are your fears? What keeps you up at night? What do you do? What do you walk through in your mind when you don't know what tomorrow is going to hold, but all you know is that you are terrified of whatever it is? In one sense, fear is normal. It's not a call to irrational lack of fear, but it's a call to trust trust in God in the midst of our fears. So what do you fear? Something related to your health, something related to your children, related to your grandchildren, related to a spouse or partner that you can't seem to get on the same page with. There's a 
there's polling, there's evidence, there's scientific research, or, or, or yeah, yeah, uh, polling dat- data that shows that some of the great fears that people experience in this day and age is just related to tomorrow. Not tomorrow, like tomorrow, Monday, March 22nd, but tomorrow in general. And surveys show that, that uh, people are having children at increasing, increase, or decreasing and decreasing and de- decreasing rates. And one of the great reasons why people say they're having fewer and fewer children is that they don't want to bring children into this world with all of its uncertain tomorrows. I'll be honest, one of my fears is what does the future hold from my son? I don't think it cripples me, but it's something that keeps me, you know, aware. So do you fear things for your children or grandchildren? Do you fear another thing that sometimes can happen with us, whether you're on the back end of life or you're still early in your, in your young adult days or still a teenager, where you, you have this fear of a life of insignificance? You want, you want a life of great value. You want a life of passionate love. You want a life of, 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 of purpose and conviction where you work or give yourself to the right uh, causes. And, and your life is, is marked by, by, by experiencing the sublime pleasures and joys of this world, but also by you feeling as if you have made the world a better place. And the great fear you have is insignificance. That's why you've got to keep yourself plugged in in all the places that you're plugged in. What Ahaz shows us, what God shows us in Isaiah 7, is that more than fearing a life of insignificance, we ought to fear a life of significant unbelief in God. Allowing, uh, obedience to Christ allows us to rest in the significance of God's work in us and for us. You know, one of the great practical ways that I try to wage war upon the fears that plague me, fears as a pastor in the midst of a pandemic, fears as a young father trying to still figure out what it means to raise a family, fears that that might come about me is I try to read good Christian biographies. And here's why, not 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 that we shouldn't read other biographies, but but what what I find in good good biographies of missionaries of old or pastors of old or just faithful Christians who went about their lives and and served the Lord faithfully is that I find that these people that I read about are not necessarily great heroes of the faith themselves who, who modeled robust, uh, vibrant, passionate faith in God. But no, their lives are evidence of God's faithfulness to them. And so you read the accounts, the journal entries of them wondering, is God going to meet my needs? Is God going to meet me right where I, want, where I am and where I need him to come through? And you see the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God. So it reminds me that we are dealing with a God of tra- with a tr- long track record of absolute faithfulness to his people. And that's what you want to enter into this picture as the storm clouds are surrounding Judah. And I don't know about you, but as I read this this week, I wanted to grab Ahaz by the shoulders and say, trust in God, man. He is there. He is faithful. And listen to what the Lord says to Ahaz in verse 7 through uh, 9. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus. So, pause here. Syria the country, Damascus the capital. The head of Damascus is Rezin. So that's the king. King Rezin, the king of Syria. 
And then God says, just parenthetically, within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken to pieces so that it will no longer be a people. So one of these nations you're fearing, they're on their last leg, far worse than you are, Judah. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Ramaldia. And then listen to the last part of verse 9. And this is what we have to see. Look at how God speaks to Ahaz in this moment. If you are saying, saying about the fall of Syria, the fall of Ephraim. And then he says to, to Ahaz and to Judah, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm in at all. Don't go check the water supply to make sure it's good if your heart is not found to be trusting in the God who supplies you with the water. That is what God is saying to Ahaz. The enemy wants to cause all of our circumstances, all the news that we scroll through on our phones, all the news that we hear on on TV as it's playing in the background, all the bad news emails that we get from other people, all the hard conversations that you get from the kids at college when class isn't going well and friendships and roommates are difficult. The, the, the enemy, Satan, wants to sew, sew all of these together into a symphony, into a loud chorus that you hear on these mighty headphones. And all of this symphony is playing a chorus telling you, you can't trust God. You can't trust God. You and your loved ones are on your own. There is nothing you can do. And God says to Ahaz, I am here. Be firm in the faith. Don't listen to the chorus of fear around you. One of the great secrets of a life following Christ is that a life As a Christian, Christianity itself, you want to know the secret to following Christ? It's not having all the answers intellectually. It's having a life of obedience of our hearts learning to trust him day by day by day. Jesus himself said this to us. He said, you trust me for today. Worry about tomorrow when tomorrow gets here. You don't have to have enough faith for the next 40 years, for the next 50 years, for however long the rest of your life is. Have faith for today. Do you have a coat on your back? Do you have heat in your home? Do you have food in the fridge? I've taken care of you today. Let's get through today. Lay your head on the pillow and then trust that I'll be there for you tomorrow. You know, one of the great wonders of the fact that we are created as human beings and created by God in his divine wisdom. I think, think about this as you go to bed tonight. And, and I've said this to a few of you before, so forgive me if it's redundant. One of the great wonders of God's creating us as human beings is that we need sleep every night. It is literally, you know, the average human being needs, I don't think many of us get it, probably most of us don't, but, but science tells us we need about eight hours of sleep a night. And if you do the math, that's one-third of your life. God has designed us so that one-third of your life 
will be spent literally checked out and out of control in this life. And every time you lay your head on the pillow at night, you are subtly saying, God, I'm going to trust that I'm going to wake up tomorrow and this planet's still going to be on its orbit and you are still going to be in control and there's going to be some form of normalcy to what I, then, uh, and from what I went to bed from. Allow sleep to be an act of faith. To casting your fears upon God. So, Ahaz has this great trial that he's facing. Let's continue on. As we see Ahaz wrestling with this surface level faith, now the fears that he's facing are threatening to drag him to the deepest depths of the oceans of troubles that lie before him. Will he sink or will he swim? Verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord, your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now look at, pause right here. God is literally saying, Ahaz, test me. What do you want to see so that you can know you can trust me with these things that you are fearful about? And Ahaz says, no, God, I'm not going to put you to the test. No, no, no. Ahaz, I, I think what we see here is, is this kind of, uh, this, this false piety that we are all guilty of at various times, I'm sure. This, nah, I'm not going to, no, nope, God's got his hands full. God's busy. He's got a whole lot of people in the world he's got to care about. There's a lot of natural disasters happening in the world. I am not going to give him my problems. He has enough on his plate. And for as pious as that sounds, it is actually unbelief. It is actually listening to our fears more than trusting our God. God says, put me to the test, Ahaz. And Ahaz says, nope, 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 nope. I'm not going to do it, God. So where do we do this today? God, now I'll be honest, God doesn't tell us, hey, put me to the test. God's speaking divinely through his prophet Isaiah in this moment. This is not something for us today where we say, okay, God, I'm going to put you to the test. But we're going to see how that fulfills itself in a few moments, so hang on. But... Where do we breed false piety that is actually a lack of trust in God? One where I have often dealt with, even in ministry, and hardships that I have endured in ministry, has been in this, this, this um, developing this like theology of suffering in my mind, where I feel as if, if yep, ministry is hard, life as a Christian is difficult, it's going to be very difficult, it's going to be very hard, it's going to be very, very wrought with pain for the totality of my life, but then I go to God when I die, and there I am with him. And that's kind of true. Jesus said, if you're going to follow after me, what do you do? You take up your cross and follow after me. But the danger in that is if we start to believe something that tells us life is hard, uh, service to God is difficult, and he is not good. God wants Ahaz to stop doubting his faithfulness. To stop doubting his goodness. Beware of something that sounds like false piety. But it is actually you pushing God away and saying to him, I hear the symphony of my fears and I don't believe that you are the conductor. I don't believe that you can have sway over this. And perhaps most concerning of all, I don't believe that you care. Beware of such a falsely pious attitude. 
Beware of believing that you are too small or too insignificant to pray for your needs before God. Once again, this gets back to this attitude of, oh God, I'm, I'm, you're busy enough. You don't, you don't need to hear from little old me. Yeah, I've got this pain in my hip. I've got this, this achy ankle. Cousin Beulah's getting her knee replaced. That's nah, all too much, God. I, you, you've got your hands full. Have you seen the forest fires in other parts of the world? Apparently there's a meteor that might hit us soon. I'm, I'm making that up. I haven't seen that in the news. Don't fear that, okay? But we, we, we think our needs are small. We but believe the lie that we are insignificant before God. And we're going to see why that is not the case in just a moment. But let me, intru- let me encourage you with this. If you feel like life is going pretty well, and you say, I don't really know what I have to pray right now about. I don't really know what I need to give God control of. I think things are going all right. Good. Praise God in that. But also, also understand that many times the regular rhythms of trusting God with the insignificant things in life, it is in those where when the significant things come, the pattern has already been set for us to trust in God. So, trust Him with the insignificant today. That, you may trust Him with the significant when it comes tomorrow. So Ahaz says, God, not, 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 not going to put you to the test. Your hands are full. And now listen how God responds in verse 13 and following. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Now pause real quick. See a turn here. Verse 11, Isaiah says, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Verse 13, Isaiah says, He is my God. There's a danger here that we see Ahaz distancing himself from God. And so what we have to understand is that our pious uh, unbelief, our pious language of distrust in God, our pious living in our fears and not entrusting them to God is actually a means of distancing ourselves from God and turning away from Him. So be careful on that. But then Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will, will, uh, shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. You might be familiar with verse uh, 13 and 14, right? This is a a, a uh, well-known prophecy of the coming of Jesus. Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. Okay, yeah, I remember that. I remember that from a Christmas sermon. So that's where it's found. And we're going to see it in just next week in in Isaiah chapter 9 as well. And so what is God saying here? He's saying to Ahaz, as Ahaz turns away and says, God, nope, I, I've got to go check the water, and I'm not going to put you to the test. God doesn't say, okay, Ahaz, I'm turning away and I'm walking away. God says, I love my people so much, I am going to come to them. And isn't that a wonder? Because what is the deepest root of our fears? Is it not that we will be alone, that we will be isolated, that we will be 
out of our depth with no help. And God meets us in our fears and gives us Emmanuel, who literally, what, which literally means God with us. Ever been so fearful about something you just needed somebody you love to be with you? Just be present. And this is all the more shocking because Ahaz didn't have just like a holy night of prayer where he was taken up to heaven or anything like that. And, and God said, all right, I see the devotion. I see the piety of Ahaz. We're going to send help down. No, God sees the unbelief of Ahaz. And says, I will send Emmanuel. But the people of Judah will still feel the weight of their rebellion against him. For God says, I'm going to send him. The Lord will bring upon you and your people such days have not come since the day that Ephraim departed Judah, the king of Assyria. Now read on, follow along, verse 18 through 25. Listen to the repeated references in that day, in that day, in that day. In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and all on, on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that day, the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. In that day, a man will keep alive with a young cow and two sheep. And because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. Pause right here. This is describing a a terribly disastrous scene. It is not describing a good scene. The people are being wiped out in this day of of Assyria and the people uh, outside of them invading Judah. Okay? So just bear with me on that. Verse 23. In that day, every place where there used to be thousands of vines uh, worth of thousands shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows, a man will come from there and all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. And then listen, as we see the fear of Ahaz, but we also see the presence of Christ. Listen to verse in chapter eight. Then the Lord said to me, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Meher Shalal Heshbaz, and I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberachiah to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, Isaiah went to his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Meher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. So what we see here is, is, is this prophecy of an Emmanuel, a child who would be born, is, is, is promised and, and it's fulfilled in one sense uh, in that moment, but in another sense, in an ultimate sense, in the coming of Christ. So Isaiah has this son, which, which is meant to signify that God will be faithful to his people. This name, Meher Shalal, Hashbaz, it means uh, the spoil speeds, the prey hastens. God is going to turn the enemies of his people away, and he will wreak his judgment upon them. And yet what we see here also is a principle that we should understand as we read our Old Testaments particularly. Oftentimes prophecies or oftentimes figures in the Old Testament serve as like a shadow of the substance that is to come. So this little baby born to Isaiah serves as a shadow of a future baby who would come who would totally eradicate the enemies of God. 
And so where uh, the shadow uh, indicates or gives an idea of, of characteristics of that one who would later come, the substance, the fullness in this Emmanuel who would be with us is Jesus Christ himself, who is quoted later in Matthew chapter 1, as Matthew testifies of the faithfulness of God in sending about Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. And so where God promises in the birth of Isaiah's son that he, will, that he will wipe out the enemies of his people, God promises in the coming of Christ that he will address our greatest enemy. And may I share something with you? You might have read this story the whole time and felt like, oh man, Ahaz had it really, really bad. That is a terrifying proposition to be in. And thankfully, as Americans, we don't know such a feeling where other surrounding nations who are more powerful, who have more advanced weapons, and who are stronger and faster and more economically equipped and mightier and, and more capable and, more, more, and smarter militarily and all of these things, we have never had that surrounding us. But Ahaz did. And the temptation that we might have is to say, thank God we aren't in Ahaz's shoes. But the principle that we see in the Bible and the principle we see in Ahaz's heart is that there is a danger far greater than armies surrounding us. And it is the danger of, the, of, of our own sin and rebellion and lack of faith and lack of trust and unbelief in God. And so God sent his son to address a far greater enemy than the enemies of Syria and Ephraim wanting to destroy Judah. He sent his son to battle against and to defeat the enemy of our own sin that has brought us into spiritual deadness. But through Christ, we are made spiritually alive. And so concluding, Isaiah writes in verse 5, The Lord spoke to me again, Because this people have refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin the son of, and the son of Ramalia. Listen to this. Okay, verse 5. God is saying, because they don't trust me to calmly, graciously, patiently care for them. I, I, I offer to take them beside flowing gentle waters and to find rejoicing in me. But because they have refused this, verse 6, verse 7 says, Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all of his glory, and it will rise over all of its channels and go over all of its banks. And it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. So what happens here? History tells us, if you want to go back and look at Second uh, Kings chapter 15, 16, 17, it kind of records more of the historical account where this is more of the prophetic account. And in the historical account, we know that the people of Judah struck up an alliance with the Assyrians to protect them against Syria and Ephraim. Well, the problem is that the Assyrians eventually uh, uh, invaded the people of Judah and, and overtook them and, and took them captive and even exiled them out of the people or out of their land. And so God is saying, they have trusted in Assyria over me. And they will feel the weight of that as Assyria's power and might sweeps into Judah. And it will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. But then listen to the very last end of verse 8. Its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Christ comes to the wreckage and the rubble of our life that even our own fears and lack of trust in God has gotten us into. Christ did not come to a charmed life. He came to a life where he could be acquainted with you and me. 
Emmanuel means that whatever your fears may be, Jesus Christ, our Lord, understands. He is not sitting in heaven saying, wow, you got an unfortunate break there. I'm sorry, it's difficult. He is saying, I came, I walked, I lived this life, I endured hunger, I endured loss, I endured grief, I endured tragedy. And I endured the weight of sin and unbelief, even to the point of my cross. I have come to your land, and I am Emmanuel. We cast our fears upon Him. Or will we still carry them like Ahaz? Checking the water, checking the infrastructure, hoping we have enough to survive. Where will we take our fears? When we go check our bank accounts, when we go get that good report from the doctor, when we look at the wonder of modern medicine, when we consider the, 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 infra, the, the military infrastructure and might of our country that keeps us safe, when we consider all of these things that we might feel can keep us safe, the security of a relationship, the security of a good job, when we do all of these things, we are pushing our God away. And we are saying, let me take one more walk around the block and make sure all is secure. And Christ tells us the biggest lie you can believe is that security is found apart from me. I'm Emmanuel, God with us. Won't we join in coming to Christ and trusting in him? He can handle our fears because he came and bore them. And he bore the greatest thing that we would have to fear, and that is the weight of our own sin and the righteous judgment of God for it. So that all who look upon him in faith do not have to fear because Christ is with them. Let's pray. God, help us to entrust ourselves to you. And help us to cast our fears upon you. Lord, help us to hear the warning of Ahaz. And to hear the comfort of Christ who has come to us. Lord, if there be any gathered here who do not know Christ. We pray that you would draw them. Not promising a life where fear is all gone. But promising them a savior. Where they can take their fears. And look to him. And rest in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.